Hi everyone, I hope you're well. Welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast. This show is an interview with Nathaniel Gillis. He's a religious demonologist and author, and a very interesting and knowledgeable guy. And he was a real pleasure to talk to. He actually lived in a haunted house when he was a child, and has spent 20 years uh, researching what he encountered to try and unpick it and understand what had happened to him, what he had experienced. Um, he's also the founder of the Preternatural Epiphenomenal Philosophy, and Nathaniel has sought to redefine the nature of the haunting phenomena, ghosts and high strangeness, and he you, you've probably heard of him before, he's been on Coast to Coast, numerous other radio shows coming out of the States, um, he's often quoted for his, his concept on the demonic, in that the reason they are playing by different rules is because they are playing a different game. Um, this was a... a a really enjoyable um, interview. It, it was great to talk to Nathaniel. Um, we were able to share ideas and compare notes, so, it's, uh, so to speak. I learned an awful lot about the, the Hebrew perspective on, on this of this phenomena, particularly around the the um, debug box uh, phenomena. And of course, we discussed the jinn, what the interest in human beings that these um, unpleasant spirits have. What's the rationale? What's the reason? Obviously, um, that's almost impossible to determine, but it's interesting to try and unpack it. So I'm going to stop talking and let you guys get on with listening. And without further ado, here is Nathaniel Gillis. So how did you get into this subject matter? Uh, well, <laughs> I um, it kind of got into me, if that makes any kind of sense. I grew up in a pastor's kids or pastor's home, so I'm a pastor's kid. And it started about when I was eight years old and we moved into a new house and I started having uh, what they call high strangeness, right. uh, you know, shadows, apparitions, uh, noises, the stench of what Dr. Barry Taft would call decomposing or rotting organic matter, which is the sulfur that everybody's heard of, sure. at least well, some people at least. But um, so after that, I began experiencing things that I had no frame of reference for. And growing, growing older into my teens and into my 20s, I decided to say, you know what, maybe I wasn't crazy. Maybe there is something to what I experienced within the four walls of that home. Mm -hmm. And then I be, that's when my research began. And it's just exactly like you said, it's, it's a rabbit hole. You know, a lot of times you'll, uh, you'll get answers. And then once you get the answers, you'll just have to ask even more questions. But that's what I started. That's, that's what got me into this research in this field is trying to understand what happened to me so I can help other people understand what's happening to them. And it's just, it's, it's a wild ride, brother. It's a wild ride. Yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and that kind of, those kind of experiences you had and you're a kid and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a teenager, it was just trying to understand them and put kind of context around them. But... Yes, context. And it was, it wasn't very advantageous of me to go to pastors, at least in my movement. Mm. I mean, you know, for the most part, their conception of the afterlife was a 17th century, um, I guess. <laughs> Invention, I guess, with that, I guess what I'm saying, and you know, and they didn't, they didn't know much, and obviously I didn't either as a kid, right? There's nothing I knew about it, 
but it wasn't very beneficial for me to go to clergy because most of them were locked into the belief system of their current uh, fellowship and organization. And so that's what got me into it. And I started venturing out into studying the jinn as yourself, yeah. uh, going into the deep book of Jewish legend and lore. And it, it really expanded my understanding of the spiritual plane in ways that I, I could have never even imagined. And I'm just, I'm honestly blessed to even, you know, be in this field. It's strange how it happens. The kind of, it's that first domino effect. They just, the first morning mm-hmm. domino. And before you know, it opens door after door after door. And you, you know, you, your view of the world intrinsically changes. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting how that can happen. Um, it forces you out, forces you into new dimensions. And uh, I often liken it to looking into a dark room and looking into it enough to, put to the point where your eyes adjust to the darkness, you know, and, and I think that for centuries we have been staring into the darkness, hoping to see. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that moment when our eyes adjust and we really understand what it is that's going uh, on in this field. You gave me a bit of context around how, how you got introduced to this through your childhood, but mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, your Christian tradition uh, didn't really give you the language or the spiritual technology to understand this or, or deal with it. In the broader Christian sense, how, what would mm-hmm. you find what's going on? All right. Well, just as the word jinn was slapped on to virtually a lot of different phenomenon or phenomena so has the word demon been slapped onto anything remotely paranormal in christianity and the word demon was a functional migratory term that the hebrew israelites took from mesopotamia well that obviously it's the greek that's greek right but as far as the concept of a demon they took from mesopotamia and they slapped it that term onto everything that they did not understand at that moment. And so what I had to deal with, even as a, a teenager, is going through history and sifting through the folklore that, that, that I inherited being a pastor's kid. And I had to sift through it to, to understand, okay, was this, a really, was this really a demon? Or was this simply something that terrified this person? And therefore, they mis- does it make sense? They misinterpreted their fear. And so, you know, when I was, I grew up in Pentecostalism and it's a very, uh, I guess it's a very, very traditional and conservative movement. And they had a lot of manifestations. Mm-hmm. However, however, the, the, as many manifestations as they had, they were very much, I wouldn't say ignorant because that's not the word, but very much unlearned in the literature of uh, the, the demonic and you know, some of the authors that have been been around for centuries now. And so what I had to do was I, I bear the, the responsibility of taking this, this whole field that I was given uh, in Pentecostalism and, and trimming all of this, this non-essentials to get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this, not everything is a demon. Mm-hmm. And if it is, we have to ask ourselves what a demon is and what it is not. And so that's what led me through the Old Testament into the New and right now, my focus is on understanding the debut phenomenon, because I think that is at the very core 
of what we're dealing with as far as haunted houses and in fact many possessions and i'm really excited to get into that oh well i think it's a a great springboard to go into that subject so by all means tell mm -hmm. let's hear some more of it okay well first of all going into the old testament when we go into like psalms 91 and many other passages we see the authors employ the word it's the king king james version 1611 it's it's demon but in the hebrew it was shadim shadim come linguistically it comes from the akkadian word seidu and seidu was not a horned or hooved demon it was essentially a spirit that could be good or bad and yeah so it so when we read these passages and we say okay that's a demon they're not saying it's horns and hooves they're simply saying it's a spirit that's evil <laughs> and so we're going through like like a psalms 91 he mentions uh in the in the hebrew you don't you don't get a lot of it but if you take that and go through the septuagint which is the greek translation of the old testament you start to hear these terminologies that we're more familiar with like lalit pakat lila uh, Resheth, and all of the other demons or idols of ancient antiquity. Right. So with that understanding, we have to focus our attention on the following question. Are they really demons or are they simply idols that are in another religious system? And that's germane to this conversation because if they are idols, the Hebrew prophets, that, that they didn't just preach against them. They mocked them. They said they have, they have eyes that can't see, mouths that cannot speak. Now, now David mentioned something in, in the book of Psalms that is absolutely, it rocked my world. It rocked my world because he gets, done, he gets done listing how these things don't exist and why you shouldn't believe in them. And then comes down to it and says, and after all that, they have no breath. I thought, I thought man, that's a weird thing to say. You know what I mean? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, if I told you, if I asked you what the color purple smelled like, you wouldn't know because it's, it doesn't exist, right? It's not even a part of our conversation. It's, not, it's so far beyond this existence. Like, you know, it's, it's just stupid to ask the question. So then why would he mention the fact that they have no breath? And so then I began my focus into uh, going into the demonology of the New Testament and how their demonology in Judaism or first and second temple Judaism changed from the old to the new. And that's when I really started to understand that it is highly possible. I'll just, I'm just going to spit it out. It's highly possible that what we have, what many religions have considered to be demons uh, are in fact uh, <laughs> disincarnate spirits that have their own belief systems still. And, and that's what led me into understanding the debuk phenomenon. And that right there, I mean, the debuk, if we really, if the field really understood that, 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 that concept of the debuk, we would quit fiddling around with phone apps and trying to get EVPs. Right. Okay. Because we would, it would, it would, it would, you know what I mean? It would change our entire uh, understanding of this whole thing. And just to help um, the, the listeners along. Can you give us just a, a, an overview of uh, about the D-Book um, phenomenon? Absolutely. Well, 
the D-book phenomenon is, is much like a zeitgeist to many. Um, most people, like I was, was introduced to this concept uh, through horror movies and different kind of occult writings. And at first blush, a D-book was essentially a body, who a spirit, a person, who had died, was put into a tomb, and then a year later was taken out, placed, they placed the bones in a box, and then they buried that box. And then so the, the idea was that the haunting that would happen was simply the, the spirit of that individual haunting that box because his bones or his or her bones are in it. And so these, the pop culture terminologies and references to the debook box it's not, it's not just a box that you go pick up at a grocery or, you know, at, at an antique, uh, antique shop. It's a box that had bones in it, that the spirit of the bones that, you know, it, it's hovering over it and it's attached to it. Now, I think is that, that, that idea and that limited understanding of this thing has cursed us to think one dimensionally. And, and so when we hear about the debook, you know, everything is just pop culture. But if we dig deeper into it, it will connect some veins into the thematic elements and the tapestry of uh, this whole thing. It, it connects to some of the other demons, so, you know, quote unquote demons that we have experienced for millennia. A, let me just say this. A debook is not, nor has it ever been, a spirit that was attached to a box. That's what we were told it was. That's the pop culture, right? That's what sells movies. The D-book phenomenon started in the 13th century. That's when they listed it as a D-book. Prior to that, prior to that, the, the Hebrews would use two words, ura ara, and that is the Hebrew um, translation of unclean spirit. Now, the unclean spirit could be traced all the way to the New Testament. And it wasn't until after that that we understood, okay, they understood, well, maybe this is not an, a, an unclean spirit. Maybe it's a debuk. And then their demonology changed from maybe it's not, right? Maybe it's not a demigod. Maybe it's not a deity. Maybe it's a disincarnate spirit. And from that point, from the 13th century on, because they have, they have been casting uh, demons out and everything prior to that, but that's when their demonology changed in a way that is, is, is virtually inconceivable because now you have people like Isaac Luria in the 13th century. He wrote a book called the Zohar, and uh, he was a Kabbalist, a Jewish Kabbalist mm -hmm. and an exorcist. And he comes out and he says, look, you know, he says, these entities are not demons. They're simply evil spirits that are, in fact, disincarnate. And so the way he would deal with them is they would call them the debook, number one. And instead of, you know, uh, I guess, employing the rite of exorcism that Catholics do, they would actually talk to these entities. Why are you here? What's your name? Right? And, and they would have a dialogue with these entities. And then they would start to understand that this is not some, some demon from the gates of hell. This is actually a person who has human interests, human urges, a value system and a belief system that humans have. And, and I think, again, like I said, if we can attach that and take it to, to this understanding of the demonic right now, mm -hmm. 
we could actually, I think, learn a heck of a lot more about this thing than we could have ever even imagined, ever imagined. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, perspective. Uh, and, and certainly, I, I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely correct. There has been a, a blanket approach to yeah. kind of anything that, that um, doesn't come under the, the explicit doctrine. Um, mm -hmm. Whatever Abrahamic faith you're in was just mm -hmm. blanketly called um, a, a demon, or or, or mm -hmm. like, um, and that's one of the things that I found really interesting about the the explorations and, and study I've undertaken with with Islam. Um, I'm mm -hmm. I'm from a, a Catholic background, and. Uh, okay. Keeping on the, on the motif of horror films, you know, when you come, <laughs> where exorcisms come up, it tends to kind of revert to the Catholic um, model all, all the yeah. all, all, all the time. And um, but that you know, in, in modern Catholicism, you don't really that was never really come up. You know, it's it's not in the language or in the everyday of of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas in in Islam, it it, it is because it's a living tradition. It's a living tradition in Islam. And they, yes. And, yes. And Islam still has um, the technology and awareness to deal with these things appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, something that mm -hmm. certainly kind of uh, I, I can't speak for, for um, other Christian uh, sects, but certainly within Catholicism, it has mm -hmm. stepped away and kind of in secular societies, we've got just completely lost. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, going back to kind of our earlier motifs of looking into that dark room. For me, we're feeling our way along the walls, you know. Um, we are. You know, we've completely lost uh, our understanding. And it, it's these different strands of research that pull this all back together. So, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm really interested in, in, in hearing more. Yeah, and I, I, I value that. And let me tell everybody that's listening, it's, it's very important to me and it excites me to meet people like yourself who are not egocentric, you know, and they're, they're not in this to, to be known, and yet are very well-read, very literate in this field. And I'm telling you, it's rare. I can't, I can't stress that enough. It is so rare to meet people who actually know what they're talking about, who don't even want to, you know what I mean? Like, they don't even want to be famous or anything about it. It's, it's ridiculous how, how cheapened this field has become. And I very much value what, you know, what you're contributing to this research. Now, my Thank you. If, if, yeah, sorry. If we take, <clears throat> let's back up here. If we take the idea of a demon and we strip it of the folklore that multiple religions and traditions have given it, there are essentially a handful of concepts that transcend the microcosm of Abrahamic religion. Number one. These entities, if they are an evil spirit, since, since the dawn of humanity, they have wanted blood sacrifices. Think about that. Mm. I was, <laughs> they wanted blood sacrifices. Why? We had a case uh, with Deborah Moffat, who is back in the 70s. She called it Mr. Entity, where... Um, I guess her, it was her mother-in-law who was dying mm -hmm. and her maid or her, I don't know, there, there, somebody, somebody was helping her. Maybe it was an in-house nurse. That's what it was. And she was in the Santeria 
And she did a Santeria rite, a ritual, um, basically invoking a spirit to help her uh, employer, which is a mother-in-law, survive this bout she had, I think it was cancer. Well, something, that opened the door and something came through and it began writing on a mirror. And it described its life, told them what he wanted, told them that he wanted a blood sacrifice, he wanted the mother-in-law to be sacrificed, and he even aported a spear into the room in the middle of the night Wow! and gave them specific instructions on how to fulfill this right to his wishes. Now, what scares me about this, this terrifies me. What terrifies me is the fact that if they're playing by different rules than what religion has given us, then it means only one thing. It means that they're playing a different game. And a part of feeling around in the walls is understanding that it is quite possible, quite possible, that these entities are, are using us as currency. In other words, it's taking things from us that's valuable to it and not very much valuable to us. Mm-hmm. So stripping it of the contextual understanding of religion and saying, okay, oh man, it's not just horns and hooves. No, it, it, that, that's, that's, that doesn't help us. You know what I mean? You can't... Un- <laughs> It has horns. Well, what, what does it believe in, right? What does it value? What, what matters to it? And so my research has led me into areas of psychology and trying to understand why these entities would want blood sacrifices, right? right? I mean, in every religion, I mean, most religions, if it's not an animal, it's a human. Mm-hmm. Why? And I think <laughs> to, to kill something, to spill blood, and I, I mean, come on, it, it, it blows my mind that because, you know, I was taught, I grew up in Christianity, I was taught that that was all cool, right? Oh, that's no big deal. And I'm thinking right now, like, what? If you just saw a person come over here and pull out a dog and, you know, and do some God awful thing, and he said, oh, it's no big deal. I did this for my God. What would you think at that moment? Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, I had to strip myself of some of these understandings and organically grow into new dimensions of thought. But a demon having a desire for blood to the point where they're willing, they're willing to aport things into your home and give you explicit instructions. Number one, that means that there's an order to their thought process. Mm-hmm. There is an order, there is a value system present that is not our value system. They do not value what we value. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at right now. And my goal is to understand what it is they value. Because if these things for 3000 years have been asking for blood sacrifices, what are they using it for? Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's, and when you get into that, I mean, we can get into the Nephilim. I mean, it's, it just opens the whole conversation up to something that it's, it's crazier than Halloween would ever, ever expect it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, 
I have I have some thoughts on 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 that um, mm-hmm. in terms of what's what's going on there. Um, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. And where my research and reading has has led me to is that mm-hmm. the energy that is given off during um, something as brutal as 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 a human sacrifice that that actual energy of um fear um and all the the, the emotions associated with something uh, as horrific as that is actually a, a form of food for a lot of these dark entities that it's that predatorial nature is looking mm-hmm. for that essence to feed upon it um and now it's it's Absolutely. you know it's it, it's quite a well bandied out theory that um, mm-hmm. you, you'll find that in a lot of places. Um, I've heard the term louche being attributed to naming mm-hmm. the essence that um, that is the food for mm-hmm. uh, for uh, demonic beings or, or, or dark entities. That's one element. The other uh, element to it that, uh, that that struck me from what you're saying earlier is, is the use of the word currency um, because yeah. there is that aspect to it. And I do think it is, I do think it, it's down to kind of like a, our, our spiritual value, the, where, where it be kind of soul or spirit, whatever word you want to attribute to it. I do think that does mm-hmm. have intrinsic value and that it comes yes, back, it does. You know, back to that kind of cosmic battle of, of um, in, a, in a really, really bad metaphor, um, <laughs> kind of the cosmic battle between good and evil and, and, and our souls are... are are the stakes i think to some degree i think that's what's happening um absolutely i the interesting thing i i I find because we always think about when we think about demonic um intrusion into lives it always gets attributed to kind of like full-on 100 percent possession right is rare um to a degree but what isn't rare is the intrusion uh, i believe anyway that the 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 Mm -hmm. on self the intrusion on will and the idea for those kind of like those small battles that happen to everybody with you know on, on a very small scale, the intrusive thoughts, the the the, the negativity um, that is external but gets internalized. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's the stuff that's happening on kind of an, on an industrial scale. Um, I, I made us a, a short lecture called uh, Was Was, which is around the Is- the Islamic idea of that of the whispering of demons, whispering of devils. Mm-hmm intruding on people and kind of pushing them away from practicing their faith uh, and then through further, yeah. and the exact same concept is in within catholicism in terms of demonic oppression um mm-hmm. they're almost alike for like so you have this two abrahamic faiths basically describing the same thing now, that mm-hmm. surprising you know uh, given that they're you know the, there's a direct lineage between uh, both feet both faiths but when you start to unpack what they're saying about kind of the symptoms of was was around kind of um, I mean they're very very close to what you describe of very different types of mental illness. Um, but you think about kind of the level of, uh, of of people suffering in the world through different levels of, of um, anxiety, depression, and whatnot. You know. I'm not saying those things aren't real and I'm not saying in any shape or form that those things can always be attributed to the intrusion of, 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 of unwanted spirits. But imagine if a percentage of it was, and we're totally unprepared for that 
we have no language for it, we have no spiritual yes. dealing with it, then you know talk on that brother talk on that go down that go down that road man we need it we need to hear it go ahead buddy <laughs> i'm excited yeah you know we're, we're we're going back to that motif of the dark room we're walking into that room there's stuff in there that is not good for us and we are completely oblivious to it and even if we are suffering from the symptoms we don't have any recourse to alleviate them when you look at the yeah. way, way of seeing things when we've completely desacralized things or you know we've we've dissociated from the spiritual being that's within all of us we, we, we don't believe that world exists um mm -hmm. is that kind of empirical worldview of like everything is a giant machine we are complex you right know, you know meat clocks and that's it we're no more than, <laughs> no more than the sum of our parts um and it just really kind of disassociates or it's not the right word uh, it, it really kind of just removes the rest of the spiritual world from us you know and in the the, yeah, the arabic word is, is al-gayeb if i'm pronouncing that properly i'm mm -hmm. invariably not pronouncing it properly um <laughs> which, which is the unseen the unseen world of which the jinn yes is. um and the lack of understanding of that world um that i mean the, the actual kind of denial of it in any shape or form to the point where it's a joke it, to most Western people, those concepts, uh, I think right, was a terrible disservice to to us, you know. Uh, and and I think the actual industrial level of the global scale of, of anxiety and depression, you know, some of it mm -hmm. attributed to this, you know, or, or I think it needs to be explored. Um, you know, it does. This is why people are 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 are. are turning to you know shamanic traditions to 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 heal themselves because we've removed our our knowledge of of spiritual healing of, of any description you know we, mm -hmm. we really limit our technology but within islam they have a, a, a there is a a form uh, called a rukia which is a type mm -hmm. of healing that is sanctioned within Islam. Um, you, you can see the roots of magic in it, in, in, in its mm -hmm. approach. But it is, it is specifically technology for dealing with, with this kind of thing. You know, um, um, and we don't have that. You know, so we, we don't. We don't. And we're blind, man. We're blind. Basically, yeah. And that's, that's what I'm getting into. And, uh, and let me say this, when I, when I was growing up in that haunted house, I was experiencing a, a profound amount of manifestation, right. uh, shadow figures and going through all this, but even at such a young age, mm -hmm. even as terrified as it made me feel, uh, cause what would happen is the room would get dark. Like at, well, obviously at nighttime it'd get dark, but it would get dark, dark, darker than dark. And uh, then there would be like a, like a cloud of darkness that's, that it was almost dark matter or antimatter in the corner. And it would make me feel uh, like I was just the smallest, most meaningless thing in the world. But even at such a young age, I knew that there's a possibility that what I was feeling, this, this just gets into epi, what I call epiphenomenal, preternatural philosophy. Is, is I knew what I was feeling did not determine what and who this thing was. 
You follow me? So in Pentecostalism, one of the reasons that, that I struggled for a while, you know, trying to find the wall or trying to find something in that dimly lit room, one of the reasons is because they put a demon on, on every spiritual experience that was not positive. Right. And so my question is, this gets back into the debook, uh, and even Jen, really. But my question is, what if we are not like, because I, t- I was taught that, okay, if you, if you're afraid, that's the spirit of fear. And for most people that works, doesn't it? Oh, that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, oh, that's the spirit of suicide. What? So like you said, we have to, we have to develop a whole new vocabulary for this mm-hmm. in order to understand it. And my question for everyone out there, including you, man, is, is this. What if we're not feeling the spirit of suicide? We're feeling the, a spirit who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And so that was the concept of the debuk. Now, the very first pictorial tradition, the picture of a debuk, was a, a man in Israel who's doubled over. He's got a cane. He's an older man. And he's got a skeleton clinging onto his back. Wow. Now, yeah, so that's in the first concept. The reason they, they painted it that way was because they believed that, number one, that was a disincarnate spirit on that living person. Number two, it was attached to him like a cloak. Right. And, and you're right in the terms of these exorcisms. Let me, let me throw this out there. Let me throw this. And this gets into the Catholicism and how just murky these waters become. They, first of all, if these are demons, and all they do is lie, right? How many, everybody, oh man, that's all they do is lie. Don't ever believe them. Why would, why would we ask them what their names are and then believe that? Sure. Right? It makes no sense. So these attachments, these attachments have to be understood for what they are. I don't know if you had visited my Instagram page. <clears throat> well, I think you probably have, like I've done yours, but there's a video that I put up. And uh, one evening, I was on my downtime. And I was just, you know, I was smoking a cigar and reading at my favorite, I guess, a pub, or I guess since you're from London, <laughs> pub. <laughs> and, uh, and I was sitting there relaxing, and a buddy of mine knew, knew what I do. And so he just took a, a person over to me and said, Hey, Nate. He said, this girl uh, was talking to me about how she feels like her house is, her friend's house is haunted, and uh, she wants to talk to you about it. So I'm sitting down, and I'm talking to her, and her boyfriend's there, and she, uh, she goes, yeah, she goes, my best friend lives about an hour away, and she lives with her grandfather, and the house is like 100 years old, and her grandfather was chased out of it by an entity, and it terrified him to the point that he, he had a heart attack and passed away in his own yard. And as she's talking to me, I see this darkness behind her. And I said, okay. I said, um, I, said I, I got to stop this, this whole thing. She goes, why? And I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude. I said, but let me say this. I know you came here to see me. And I know you think you're here to talk to me about your friend's grandfather. I said, but that's not why you're here. And I said, you have an attachment of suicide on you. When I said that, she started crying. Her hands were shaking. She held her hand out, her arm out, Mm -hmm. took my fingers, and and 
made me feel the scar, the indentation in her wrists where she had tried to take her life uh, a year ago. Wow. Yeah, this, this is the debug phenomenon, right? It's the attachment. Now, I said, now forget about her grandfather. Tell me about your grandfather. I said, because I feel depression, uh, anxiety, and obviously suicide. I said, you're, you've been dealing with emotions. This gets very interesting. I said, you're, you've been dealing with emotions that are not your own. And I said, tell me why you tried to commit suicide. She said it was in 2014. 2014, my grandfather shot himself to death. And she said, we were very close. I said, I understand. And so while I'm talking to her, this gets crazy. I mean, not crazy as unlock me up, but this, you know, I'm telling you, these Jewish exorcists, since the 13th century, they've been doing this for thousands of years. They, they, just, they just had a case in Israel in uh, 2005 where something like this happened. And so I'm talking to her, and as I'm talking to her, I realize that I'm, I'm talking to the grandfather right. through her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because she's feeling his emotions. And what emotions were they? Low self-esteem, guilt, depression, anxiety, fear, shame. And I said, listen, I said, uh, you know, we got, I said, look, I said, there's a lot of people out there that because of their emotions that, 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 they, that get unchecked, that are, that are unchecked and unguided, that suddenly, not suddenly, but, but, but sooner than later, what happens is the words that, that their mouths cannot say, they begin to show up in their health and the trauma that they could never articulate because of PTSD or something else begins to show up in other more physical ways. And I said, what I need you to do is to realize that these emotions are not your own. And I said, and once that happens, you'll be able to understand and decipher between, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a nobody or I, I, I'm tired of this life. I said, no, I said, what happened, what you need to do is, we need to get that debook off of you so that you can, you know, get close to your boyfriend. Well, while I was talking to her, she started shaking, started bawling. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, okay. I said, I, start, I, I said, I, I feel it lifting. And I felt it. Boop. I mean, it just like that. It was gone. Right. <sighs> and it was a powerful, spiritual, beautiful moment. And since then, I mean, her life has changed. But the reason I mention that story is, is for, for one reason and one reason only. If, is it possible that many of these exorcisms are not merely just throwing holy water and, you know, doing these rites and incantations and, 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 and delivering the demoniac? What if it is we are traumatizing humans and they leave, traumatized, they leave the person. And we call that deliverance. Deliverance for who? Mm -hmm. right? right? Because that's why, uh, now Isaac Luria had a student, and uh, like, like I said, Isaac Luria was perhaps the greatest Jewish exorcist that ever lived, ever, uh, as far as you know, post first century, after the first century. But that's what they taught. They believed, Isaac Luria taught Haimi Vital, 
And Jaime Vital was also an, an incredible exorcist. I mean, he was just a beast. And what he taught in his school was that in order to heal the person, you have to heal the spirit. Right. So now uh, what, I, what, what impresses me, obviously many things impress me about you, but I was watching, I was listening to your was, was presentation and you mentioned someone who I'm a big fan of. You, you probably already know who I'm talking about. Jerry, Jerry Marzinski. Yeah. Yes. His work is phenomenal. Yeah, but so that, that's more along the lines, you know, and, and for those that don't know, he, his work is just, oh my God, you're talking about, you're talking about belief systems, brother. Mm. These entities have a whole different level, a whole different understanding, different value systems. So my question is, because I know uh, I keep rambling, man. I'm not trying to, but this is such a deep subject. Is it, po is it possible? Is it possible that we mortals have slapped the word demon throughout three different monotheistic religions? And truthfully, we're just dealing with disincarnate spirits who have what I call self-inherited guilt, shame, guilt and shame from their life and are still in their belief systems. I'll tell you why I ask that. Because if a demon is a demon, a demon is a demon. They would, it, would, it would only fear one constitution, right? It would fear one constitution. I see, let me put it like this. You're from London. You're from Britain, Great Britain. Um, I'm from Ohio. Yeah. I don't follow your rules. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm supposed to be under your authority, which is what everyone, all these monotheistic religions teach that, right? Yeah. You're either under Yahweh, Jesus, or Allah, mm -hmm. unless they're all one and the same. Mm -hmm. We have a problem because you have Jewish exorcists. Why do you need a Jewish exorcist? Because they're casting out Jewish demons. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave that at your feet because I know you'll have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with it, um, and it's it's correct. Um, it, these things are hugely regional, like geographically regional, um, right? And with within a, within jinn lore, um, jinn have been described as being uh, you can have Muslim jinn, you can have Christian jinn, you can have yes, sir, what um. Uh, and uh, so on, and um, I, I think that I think you've, you, you've definitely hit on something uh, like a, which just adds a layer of, of complexity to it, you know. Mm -hmm. Which it, 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 as you said, it kind of it, it 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 takes away simplistic de definitions because if there is an all-reaching power of God, um, mm -hmm. then through speaking God's name, it should cast out anything. Um, but that's not the case, um, mm -hmm. right? You know, and I think it, I think that's got. I think there's multiple aspects to it because I do think the individual's faith, or the not not even if they have a strong faith in in whatever religion they've been brought up in, but if they're in that kind, of, if they're in that framework, um, and yes. you have an awful lot of people that 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 are in that belief system, that that in itself can generate a form of power that may be doing the the um the casting out um and i don't know it's yes. pure, pure conjecture but i do think there are multiple aspects of things because so i think you're absolutely right there, there there is this element to uh 
to feeling residual emotions. Um, they can be down yep. your your um your family lineage, or or indeed you can just pick them up uh, if you're unfortunate enough. And and one that 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 um is it a carving you mentioned of the D book with the old man on, on the skeleton on his back? Um, that 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 really resonated with me because it reminded me of the term hag ridden, um, which kind yeah. of ties in with the the um the whole idea of the 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 dark shadow man figure and there's also kind of the the idea of the night hag the nightmares where people wake up right you know, the feeling of pressure on their chest and they can't move um and sometimes that 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 takes a kind of a more kind of sexual nature which comes up again. it does um but that the term for that is 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 being hag ridden and the term mm-hmm. that's used for people who do have a possession or they do have some sort of parasitical entity attached to them is the idea that they've been written. Um, that the disincarnate is using the individual to re-experience the material world through them again. Um, mm-hmm. But the, one of the things I do find quite interesting about this, and I've been reading a lot uh, lately about, uh, by a, a, a fantastic magician called uh, Josephine McCarthy, who is an extraordinary mm-hmm. exorcist. I've uh, been reading her book, and um, she she's got a a great view of the kind of categorizations of of, of these beings that she outlays in mm-hmm. the exorcist handbook. But she talks in depth about um, parasites and and how they can be very similar to um, demons um, and, and really get into somebody and, and kind of be wrapped into them. Uh, where they will need extraction and that influences behavior and the obsessive behavior mm-hmm. of addiction the, the, of destructive behaviors and um, because those addictions they are feeding off that behavior they're feeding off the emotions generated from that behavior um, yes and it's another aspect yes. you know and again when we talked about initially when we, we started chatting about this being kind of the rabbit hole it's like it's just another layer to it. And it, it seems to me there's a huge spectrum of things going on. Um, mm-hmm. And when you talk about kind of the, these beings having their own belief system, it, it, when you kind of, uh, well, when I looked into um, the, the world of gin, there's a, there's a, there's a great book um, by a, a, an author called uh, Robert Liebling called um, Legends of the Fire Spirits. And it's a, it's a mm-hmm. anthology of of um, of jinn and genies uh, from um, well all across the Arabian Peninsula and into North Africa and so on, um, and mm-hmm. it talks about like clan structures and family structures and even even cities of the jinn, um, which mm-hmm. are, are believed to be around uh, a mythic mountain in the North Pole called Mount Quef. Um, the levels of lore to this are just huge. Um, oh yeah, you know, but but certainly, kind of going back to your your, your original topic of, of why are these things regionally specific? You know, right? Why does Islamic um, exorcism work for Islamic possession and not for Christian possession, not for Jewish possession, and vice versa? Um, right. And I do think part of that is the religious framework the individuals have grown up in. And and are are just part of that. It's 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 almost epigenetic, um, but that's just a theory. That there's a huge scope to it. Like it's it's baffling. It's it's massive, and it's it's a beautiful mystery. It really is. I mean, I'll tell you what. This literature saved my life. <laughs> Researching this stuff. I mean, as dark as it can be, 
it's fascinating because it's a glimpse into a reality that we have been robbed of for yes. thousands of years, if not all of history. Now, getting into Marzinski's work, did you notice how much of consent these entities looked for? Yes, yeah, um, uh, really interesting, and how some people actually missed the entities when they when they left. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's a and uh, in, in dealing with that and taking that, let's move on to well, actually let's move back to the debug phenomenon. Like I said, it wasn't a box of bones. I mean, that's where it originated. That's where everybody said it was. No, <laughs> what happened was these rabbis and these exorcists. And I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to pay trail off the consent thing. I'm going to stay on that same thematic element. But the debuk, what would happen was you would have a handmaiden or a newly married woman who had recently consummated her marriage, and she would uh, you know wake up in the middle of the night thinking her hus thinking her husband is uh, you know trying to be friendly or whatever, and yeah. thinking you know he's touching the legs, and she's like okay and he's becoming something is becoming very physical with her. Well, she turns around and nothing's there. And then for five minutes, she's assaulted in ways that are unimaginable. So what these exorcists begin to realize, this is where the debut came from. This gets into father Sinastri's work as well. Uh, But what they begin to realize was that these quote unquote demons, Mm -hmm. they have sensual desire. And what they would do, and I, <laughs> they will groom these victims. They will groom these victims uh, by wooing them romantically. Mm-hmm. And so they will produce emotions and physical touch in order to manipulate them into giving them consent to, at the end result, to possess them. Mm -hmm. It was never possession, and then, um, I don't know, I don't know if I can say this, but you know what I'm saying, it's not possession, and then sex, okay, if if I could say that, because some radio shows don't let me do that. Uh, But it was always, it was always sexual molestation or rape, and then possession. Yeah. It It was never... And so when they were dealing with these people, they would have these demoniacs, or, you know, quote unquote demoniacs, would show up and they would be like, okay, like, what's wrong with you? What happened? Well, you know, it all started a year ago and uh, it, would, it would come into my room in the middle of the night and touch me and all this stuff, it would whisper in my ear and rub my back and all this stuff. And now I'm possessed by it. Mm-hmm. So then they said, okay, they started asking questions like Father Sinastri did. If these incubus and succubus spirits are wanting intimacy with physical mortal humans, mm-hmm. they have, must have, a sensual desire and or the hardware, quote-unquote hardware, to fulfill such an act. Mm-hmm. And that's what led these exorcists to think, okay, you know, maybe this isn't Beelzebub. Right. Maybe this is Bob. Yeah. Right. Maybe this is because it's far too too human. Mm-hmm. So then they started. That's when they started asking questions, and then come to find out it was it was not a demon at all. It was simply a person who was a rapist in his past life. Wow. Like okay, yeah. 
They had, they had a case in 1999 in Baghdad where the lady uh, was raped and was possessed. She said, I am possessed by the spirit that raped me. Mm. So they begin to talk to it. What's your name? Don't you, here, here's what blows my mind. Don't, does anybody ask themselves? I know, I know I do, but sometimes I could be nutty and crazy, but why, why would demons have names? Like what? We have names. Mm. Like you don't go up to an animal and say, hey, what's your name? Mm-hmm. It's an animal. It's a dog. Well, that's how it started. And there's, the Catholicism has uh, continued that tradition. Mm-hmm. But it started out, what's your name? And then it was like, you know, hey, my name is so-and-so. Okay, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's where I'm from. How did you die? And why are you here? And then when are you leaving? Mm-hmm. It was a dialogue. Yeah. It was a dialogue because what happens is you begin to understand what it believes in and what it values. Right. And, and I think going back to Catholicism, and I, I honor all, I mean, I'm a big fan of Adam Bly, uh, just, you know, especially Malachi Martin. I love me some Malachi. Oh, my God, I love that man. He's awesome. But the problem is, see, they, they changed their right of exorcism. I think it was in 1999, the, the, the Vatican issued a, a kind of a, I don't know, more, more or less a rebuttal against the old ways of exorcism. But they, they said something in the old, it was, in the 1600s, they created their creed of exorcism. Then they uh, rectified it. And uh, I think it was, like, like I said, 1999. Anyways, the 16th century version of it, this is fascinating. Because they, they, they trip over themselves all the time when trying to deal with these demons. They simply stated that the reason we throw holy water on the demoniac is to remind the demon of baptism. Right. Now, right, did your ears perk up there? Because mine did. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an old, old, old belief. Uh, comes back to the first century. Um, that, that the dead, dead things are underneath the water. So the afterlife, Sheol, was underneath water. <clears throat> so, you know, when, so, so the whole concept is this. When, you, when you're baptized, it was a, it was a form of, of exorcism. So in Christianity, we, have, we call it a watery grave, right? You're buried with Christ. You are now a new creature. So when you come out of the water, the old, the old man is dead, right? All things are, yeah, all things are passed away. So they said the reason that, that they're afraid of the holy water is because it reminds them of the exorcism of baptism, right? That's what they said. Okay. Now, I want to ask you a question because I know I've been rambling. I want to ask you a question. When has a demon ever been baptized enough one time to remember it, number one, and to be afraid of it, number two? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it raises questions about the origin, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's so when you start to see, I mean, it's right in front of us. It's always been right in front of us. The rite of exorcism, like you said, you touched on it. I would love to hear your thoughts on more on this, on this particular area. But um, yeah, what if it's not you're you're delivering the person by sending the spirit off? It's very possible that you're traumatizing that entity. 
because you're relying, number one, when you throw holy water on a demoniac, you're, you're relying upon the memory of the demon to have authority over it. What if it never got baptized, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And that's Father Sinashari, and we can get into that if you want. <laughs> it's crazy. The stuff is fascinating. It really is. Like, um, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to wrap up soon. Okay. Um, but that's and, fun. But I, I think, um, I think we should we should do this again. I think there's 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 definitely more for us to unpack here. Oh man, I I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I knew I would. I knew I would. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. You're, you're, you're a legend, brother. I was looking at your work today oh, so and especially, I uh, think it was facial equality, man. That really, Oh, cheers. Thank you. I mean, yeah. for people to even think about that, that is so beautiful. Okay. I'm going to, I'm telling everybody about you. Um, yeah. Maybe next time we'll get into uh, the incubus succubus and then father Shinashri's work. Yeah. And I want to hear more about your, you're gin because you're like the gin expert, man. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. There's, well, I mean, li likewise, I'd, I'd love to um, I, I could, uh, pick your brains about the, the, the Christian view of this. It'd be super interesting and um, really educational. Awesome. Awesome. I enjoyed myself, sir. Thank you. Well, let's, let's do it again. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, brother. You have a good one and have a good weekend, sir. Take care. You too. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Nathaniel, for for coming on. Um, there was a huge amount that we got through. I had to edit some stuff out because the audio wasn't great, kept breaking up. Uh, but we'll we'll do it again real soon. There was a lot there. We went through the the D book phenomenon, gin, obviously demons. What are they? Unclean spirits. That the hag phenomenon, being hag ridden. And on all the kind of different kind of unpleasant in intricacies and overlapping motifs within this area. So it was really interesting. I look forward to do it again. You can find Nathaniel um, across the web. Plenty more audio recordings of him and his work out there. So be sure to uh, uh, seek him out and follow him. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, give us a, a like and uh, subscribe. And uh, take care. <laughs>